Welcome to The Essential Rhythm, science-based natural history and human ecology of the North Atlantic seashore. This is episode 68, What Lives on Sandy Southern Beaches? As we approach the end of summer, I, like many of you, have been squeezing the last drops from this brief window of more than fair weather. For me, this included a quick trip to southern New England, far enough south to be out of the Gulf of Maine bioregion. Yes, I went south of the Cape, all the way to Martha's Vineyard. And that means sand. The vineyard is nothing if not primarily a sand pile. Much of the surface geology of the region, including Cape Cod, Nantucket, and Long Island, consists of glacially deposited sediment. The region marks the furthest extent south of the last continental ice sheet, and the glacier dumped all kinds of sediment in a series of formations called terminal moraines. In practice, much of what we see on the shorelines of these regions are big, sandy beaches, which are cool because they're so different than the intertidal zones I'm used to. As I rode my bike down the eastern shore of the island, I stopped periodically to explore the beach. It was hard not to stop at every access point, and harder still to pull myself away once I started exploring, with the slow, ambling, head-down walk of a beachcomber. I noticed a couple of things right off the bat. There wasn't much seaweed in the rack line, the zone of the upper beach where material is washed up and accumulates from high tide, sort of a terminal moraine for the tide. Most of the macroalgae in our temperate water requires a substrate to anchor to, and sand doesn't quite cut it as a firm substrate. This lack of rack in the rack line leads me to believe that this sand extends pretty far out subtidally, meaning this is an intertidal and subtidal ecosystem without significant macroalgae, which means it's a little like the difference between a forested ecosystem and a desert in terms of physical structure and the types of organisms that use each. To get a sense of what lives in the sandy intertidal and subtidal, I looked at what kinds of shells were washed up on the shore, and I was surprised to see mostly slipper shells. We have those here in Maine, too. Some call them boat shells because their primary shell is shaped like a small turnabout rowboat, and they have a little half-shelf shell on the underside. They're also called slipper limpets because, like true limpets, they spend a lot of their time stuck firmly to rocks. Unlike limpets, slipper shells don't graze on algae, however, and instead make their living as suspension feeders, pulling minute food particles out of the water, concentrating them into delicious pellets, which they then ingest. This is a good MO for an animal that is largely sessile. Seeing lots of slipper shells made sense on the one hand. Filter feeding would really be the only way to get the products of photosynthesis into the macrofauna food chain, as there wasn't any seaweed around to do the trick. That explained the hard-to-ignore lack of any periwinkles on the beach, animals who primarily graze on seaweed. On the other hand, slipper shells are largely sessile as adults. They settle out of the plankton and stay pretty much where they land, which didn't make sense to me given the fact that the beach appeared to be all sand, not a good substrate for sticking to. And this is still all a little bit of a mystery. It looks like most references talk about them living in sandy environments by growing together on top of one another. And we've talked about that in previous episodes. Slipper shells pile one on top of the other to form stacks, which double as breeding associations. Again, a good strategy for an organism that doesn't move around. Finding a mate is easy because they are literally stuck to you. The question becomes, 
what does the first slipper shell in the pile grow on? And it seems the answer to that is anything it can find. Other organisms, surf clams and horseshoe crabs being contenders, or any small cobble on the surface of the sand. And while the beach can look uniform, there actually are some small stones to be found. It was fun to contemplate such a different ecosystem, one characterized by a profound lack of macro herbivores. Herbivores drive ecosystems. They move energy from photosynthesizers to everything else. And it makes me wonder, who's driving these sandy beach systems? We'll talk about that next time. This has been episode 68 of The Essential Rhythm, written and produced by me, Sarah O'Malley. The show is produced on Wabanaki land. Check out photos of all those slipper shells on our Instagram. Search at The Essential Rhythm. The theme music is Lightstream by the artist Siddhartha, used by permission through Creative Commons. Thanks for listening and join us next week.